the whole night through. Good morning. Good morning to you. Good morning. Good morning. It's great to stay up late. Good morning. Good morning to you. This is WPTF Radio, Raleigh, North Carolina, and I'm Reese Edwards. Hello, everybody. Atlantic Coast Conference Tournament Basketball is on the air. This is Wally Osley. This is Bill Jackson speaking. Hello, everybody. Welcome now to Sportsline. Gary Dornberg with you. I'm Tony Rixby, WPTF News. Hello, this is Charles Carroll, CBS News, on WPTF in Raleigh. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. I'm Don Curtis. Hello, friends. This is Bill Friday. WPTF and Raleigh. I'm Rufus Adbiston on the Weekend Gardener. Now, here is your moderator, Tom Campbell. Thanks for watching this week's NC Spin. Now, here is Kay Kaiser. Hi, yo. Well, that's good. This is Art Devine. This is Robert St. John in the NBC Newsroom in New York. The Monitor Edition of News of the World. Debnam views the news. And now, here is Mr. Debnam. Good afternoon, everyone. Yours truly, Sam Beard, and Jim Reed, and Carl Gert. Thank you, Sam, and greetings to all of our listeners. This is Harry Presley, WPTF in Raleigh, North Carolina. Wayne Ed is standing by now with a check of the latest news. WPTF News presents Regional Report, a digest of late happenings throughout the area. This is Bill Ellis. This is Jimmy Capps. With a nocturne, we send as our best. This is Bill Hope. This is Warren Barfield with Kingdom Scott at the organ and a program of Familiar Carol. Good morning, this is Phil Franklin. And this is J.C. Knowles with the North Carolina Collection on WPTF. I'm Mike Blackman, WPTF News. This is Robert Hager, WPTF News. This is Bob Farrington. Good morning, everybody. Charlie Gaddy here with Ask Your Neighbor. Mario Dell here. Fess Parker, our guest this morning here at News Talk 680. Well, Jack Boston, that was a great introduction. Hey, everyone, great to have you with us. This is North Carolina's Morning News. I'm Brian Freeman on WPTF. Hello, I'm your friend Bart Rittner. Good afternoon. Welcome back to the Bob Butler Show. And this is Ned Champion reporting. And here is Carl Venters. WPTF is the voice that shares with its neighbors what it's like to be living the life of Raw. This is Charles Osgood wishing Mike Rayleigh and Ann Clapp congratulations on the anniversary of WPTF's Weekend Gardener Program. This is Donna Mason on 680 WPTF. And I'm Dick Stork in the WPTF Record Vault. Good morning to you. Johnny Hood on the Southern Farm Network. Well, howdy, everybody. I'm Hap Hanson. I'm Marlon Bowling reporting. I'm Ann Clapp. And this is a Tar Heel Gardener saying, keep them growing. Now, the WPTF Weekend Gardener with Mike, Ann, and Rufus. We're back on WPTF with the Weekend Gardener. Mike Rayleigh here, along with uh, the esteemed Rufus Edmonston, Esquire, the uh, former Attorney General, Secretary of State, Deputy Chief Counsel in the Senate Watergate Committee, and the current Secretary General of Gardening in North Carolina. Anything did, else? Did you say steamed? Steamed. What are you mad about now? <laughs> <laughs> you no. can never be mad on this show. I've never, I've never seen you mad. So um, I'm sure as your role as leading the state of North Carolina in various ways that, that you have been well, steamed. Well, I've, I've been steamed when I was attorney general. The thing that made me the, the most mad was when pe- people tried to cheat old folks. Right. That would really turn me off, Amen. and I, I'd go after him with a big stick. Right. And Gerald Adams, who is, uh, was at, at, for years in charge of the grounds, uh, curator of grounds at the governor's mansion, uh, now has uh, much the same role at, uh, for the Centennial Campus 
a lot more acreage there, my friend, uh, to, to worry about. And uh, <coughs> uh, 800 acres, you said? Yeah, went from five acres to 800. <laughs> and several more employees. Wow, yes. I didn't realize that five acres for the governor's mansion. 4.9-something is oh, what that city wait. block is. Good gracious. Okay. And um, uh, one of our experts on tomatoes, you've uh, developed uh, tomatoes. We also have um, this morning Craig LaHoulier, who uh, is no longer in this area, but um, you know, up in the mountains enjoying himself. Sure, it's a little cooler up there. Craig, thank you so much for making some time for us this morning. Oh, well, thank you, and hey, everybody, it's uh, waving at you from about, what, four hours west. Good to, good to be here, and thank you, Mike. Yeah, yeah, we're uh, we're at uh, we're in the Graham Building uh, out at the State Fairgrounds today, Craig, at the, the Man Expo. There are women here, but, but uh, not on the panel this morning. Miss Clapp is uh, at the beach, but uh, Craig is, uh, Craig started out, of course, you have a doctorate in chemistry, that helps when you're dealing with plants, but uh, you started out selling tomato plants, heirloom tomatoes at the State Farmer's Market. Is that basically how you got your start with this? Well, um, you know, I, my first garden was in 1981. Uh, I got the heirloom bug in 86, 1986, when I joined the Seed Savers Exchange, and then in a discussion with uh, Charlie, manager of the market at the time in the late 90s, he suggested, I, I told him what I had, and he said, why don't you pot them up and bring them down and sell them? And so we had a nice 20-year spell selling at a stall on weekends at the farmer's market, and, you know, we made friends during that 20 years. We had, a road, we had road trips out to Hendersonville this spring to get my plant. So, you know, lifetime friends were forged from those heirloom tomato plants. Uh, you, of course, have, uh, have written at least two books. Uh, Epic Tomatoes is uh, the one that people probably know more about. Uh, growing vegetables and straw bales is, a, is another. Any other books? Uh, well, I got, I got a book in my head that I haven't gotten on paper yet because I can't seem to find time to stop hiking or gardening to yeah. get it on. But I'm hoping maybe this coming winter to finish it. But, um, you know... We love it out here. I learned, and one of the things we maybe want to talk about in, in, in the next hour is how different gardening in Hendersonville was. And uh, everything that I learned out here last year, gardening in a place where we only had two days at 90 degrees, and everything else was in the 80s or below. So uh, made wow. a big difference into gardening success out here. What about, I mean, is that's good for the tomatoes too? Well, once you start getting... 90s and above, they don't set fruit well. Um, for the big beefsteak types that people love to grow, the blossoms will fall off the plant, and your yield will be reduced. And also, heat and humidity stress the plant and um, help to bring in some of the diseases that affect tomatoes so commonly in a warm climate. Um, so I had a spectacular spectacular yield last year but then we had late blight coming in august and wipe it all out so with the guy you know as you guys have been doing for so many years in this great gardening show one of the things we talk about is how every year is so completely different and uh so it makes us keep gardening i guess it's the, there's some element of mystery to it isn't there 
A lot of mystery, and Gerald, I'm sure Lots and lots of mystery. <laughs> Just when you think you figured something out, whoom. Now, Gerald uh, has... Uh, Gerald, I was listening to your acreage, and I'm thinking, I've got a quarter-acre flat with 66 plants, and that's keeping me busy. I, I My head hurt when I heard how many acres you're responsible for, but wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, is. I've got about 60 plants jammed on a patio. <laughs> The, uh, at work, yeah, because it's a fenced-in area. I can keep the deer away from them. Yeah, so, yeah. Craig, what's new with you, uh, tomato, uh, tomato variety-wise? Well, tomato variety-wise, what's new is we continue to work on our dwarf tomato breeding project. Um, that started in 2005, which it's 2021. It's hard to believe that 16 years have gone by since we started that idea, and now we've got 133 varieties released, and even though we've ratcheted it way down, we're still cranking it along. So a lot of new dwarf varieties, um, you know, the nice gardeners out there who get in touch with me, four more have sent me their own family heirlooms, so I'm growing a variety called Earl, and one called Bing, one called Aunt Gladys, and another one called Fultz, F-U-L-T-Z, and these have been in the families for over 100 years, so they're, I'm filing them for the first time, and I guess the other big news for me is I've been working for months now collaborating with Joe Lample, um, Growing a Greener World. Um, and we've now got an online tomato course out there that people, uh, it launched uh, about a month ago. And we now have 600 students that we meet with on Zoom every week and do a lot of uh, troubleshooting and looking at tomato disease pictures and critters and ugly foliage. And so, you know, you know Mike, I'm retired, but not. And I, yeah. I am busier now than I ever was when I was working at GlaxoSmithKline. So how, how if... Uh... Are you accepting more students? Yeah. I mean, if people want to check it out, they can go to joegardner.com. That's all one word, J-O-E-G-A-R-D-E-N-E-R.com, slash Growing Epic Tomatoes. Okay. So he contacted me in January and had this idea for a collaborative course, and I said yes. Um, and he's been at my house a few times, and I've been at his house a few times, and it's all video. It's all us looking at plants and having discussions, and there's a private Facebook group, and it's on Teachable, which is a really good um, education platform for courses. So, you know, and if anybody had any other questions about it, they can just email me at my same old email, nctomatoman at gmail.com. Um, but this will be available forever, and people can check it out and sign up whenever they want. Self-paced, it's all there. All right, we're going to... Get into the heart of the, the meat of the, of the tomato coming up here in WPTF. Uh, 919-860-9783. Uh, Mike Rayley here along with Rufus Edmonston and uh, Gerald Adams and Craig LaHoulier. We're at the Man Expo at the Graham Building on the State Fairgrounds built by NC Shed Builders. Come see their absolutely gorgeous sheds here. And uh, Alan Reinish is with us and Alan um, our first experience of uh, dealing with shed builders was down at Big Bloomers and they had the most magnificent shed that the the uh, folks there at um, at Big Bloomers had designed basically and y'all just followed their whimsy and I want this I want that and y'all gosh it, it was such a great garden shed 
But thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. Yeah. It's great to I'd be like here to, I'd morning. like to live in that house. <laughs> I know. And uh, the uh, the Garden Hut had one that they, uh, they people could register for for a long time, and they gave that away and raised a lot of money for it. Uh, these uh, can be anything that you that you picture in your mind. I mean, they can be, I, I guess you can add electricity at some point, or I don't know if you can add plumbing, but uh, you can you can add about everything else, can't you? You can do quite a bit with our storage sheds. Um, we are finding that our customers continuously want something different, uh, something original. Uh, this weekend here at, at the Man Expo, on display, we have a new product that we're installing. It's called Luxcar Rubber Flooring. It's got the diamond print. It is a great product to put on the floor of your storage shed, especially if you're a gearhead, uh, somebody that's got oil on the floor and stuff like that. The product uh, lasts forever. That's a great idea because uh, most sheds are, just have the, the plywood base. And, uh, yeah, that can... That can certainly deteriorate after time so it's good to, I mean there are a lot of things you can add give us an example of the things that you can add to uh, to a shed so another product that we have is um, the product is genstone faux brick for somebody that is in a neighborhood and they want their storage shed to really look just like their house and we can add a brick face to it very simply easily and then uh, we install hardy plank or vinyl uh, in conjunction with that, so when people look at their house, they're also looking at their storage shed and going, wow, that all looks wonderful, and, and it gives them a great appeal. I've always said uh, in storage sheds, when you look in your backyard, you're sitting in your backyard, look at your storage shed, you should smile and say, wow, that, I like the looks of that. There are a lot of homeowners associations that you, you really have to be careful what you do, but there shouldn't be any problem with with uh, shed builders? We work very well with most homeowner associations and we try to do our best to make sure that we comply with everything that they're asking their homeowners to do. Yeah. Uh, gosh, I mean, I just have so many, so many things that... Uh, the problem is I end up filling up the, uh, the shed with so many, so many different things. There's not enough room for me to actually go in there. But uh, since we're at the Man Expo, you, a man shed would would be a great idea, right? I mean, you could really get creative with that, couldn't you? Absolutely, and that's what we've been doing. Uh, we've been in business since 2015, uh, and it never surprises me what people are going to do with their storage sheds. We've had we've had man caves, she sheds. Um, we've we've done chicken coops where people just take a chi uh, storage shed and we turn it into a chicken coop. I've seen elaborate. There are ones in Raleigh that. Uh, at chicken coops that are really, really neat looking. What if you wanted to add electricity to it? I, I suppose that you'd have to contract that out. Correct. And we do have an uh, electrician that we work with. Uh, for, for the case of electricity, uh, because it can be very uh, uh, costly, we have to look at every situation and whether or not you can get the benefit for just a, a light. Um, it, it, you can go anywhere from a thousand to two thousand dollars just in store electricity in your storage shed. Uh, so you have to look at the cost benefit of that. Um, actually, a lot of times, if all you need is a light, a solar light will get you there. Yeah. Uh, a closet light. No, I want air conditioning. Can we put a window unit in? Absolutely, and okay. we've done that. What about? 
to smoke cigars. Can, can we heat it? Um, some of the heating, uh, the, the units that you can get actually do cooling and heating. Uh, we can find that at our local home stores uh, and find units at a, at a reasonable price. And we, uh, in those situations, a lot of times we create a separate hole, uh, a separate uh, um, install for the uh, heating and cooling unit. All right, we can come to uh, the Man Expo and, and talk to you and uh, your associates about it. Uh, we can also go online, right? Correct, ncshedbuilders.com. I mean, you can go wild with this stuff, folks. You really can. It's not just that you go to the place and they got four or five different uh, models you can choose from. You can do anything, right? I wouldn't say anything. Uh, but come on, Alice, <laughs> go, with, go with the flow here. You can do anything. Uh, but we can do quite a bit, and we try to help out our customers as best as we can. Um, we do have, so we have one storage shed at our booth on display, and there's another storage shed here that's at the front of the show. It is the She Shed Seltzer Shack. Um, and, well, I'm not going to try and say that. And the ladies Especially that are... Especially after I visit the vodka booth. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah, that's right. But, uh, and that storage shed is in the front. That's our cabin model. Uh, we've been getting a lot of good reviews on that one. A lot of people really like the looks of it. Um, and it's just a, a small little garden shed is what it is, but it looks great. Alan, thank you so much for, for joining us this morning. And uh, thanks for your sponsorship over the years. Thank you. Thank you for having me, and we look forward to seeing uh, all our guests at, uh, at the Man Show this weekend. Very good. Alan Reinish of NC Shed Builders. Go to ncshedbuilders.com. Uh, we'll talk more with Craig LaHoulier and Gerald Adams and Brother Rufus and you coming up on the WPTF Weekend Gardener. We're at the uh, Man Expo built by NC Shed Builders. More coming up. It's 1024. You're listening to the longest-running gardening show on the radio. It's the WPTF Weekend Gardener with Mike, Ann, and Rufus. It's 1028. Mike Rayleigh here along with Ann Clapp. Uh, well, Ann's not here. What am I saying? I'm just used to saying that. Ann's at the beach. Uh, she'll be back next week. Brother Rufus is here. Rufus Edmonston. Uh, Gerald Adams and Craig LaHoulier is with us on the phone from uh, the mountains of North Carolina. And uh, we're going to talk more with them coming up. We're at the uh, Man Expo in the Jim Graham building at the State Fairgrounds, uh, built by NC Shed Builders. You know, all the pollen we are seeing is uh, a good reminder that uh, it's time to take your vehicle to King's Auto Service. Why? Well, that, that late spring checkup, if you haven't done it before, uh, when we had so much pollen, you know, we still have pollen out there, but, uh, you know, a lot of things clog up those cabin air filters. Get that checked. You can get that changed. It'll help you tremendously. Uh, the wiper blades are also uh, very important, and um, during the winter, they, can, they really don't last that long. I mean, you would like them to, but they don't. So get those wiper blades changed. Check the AC if you haven't already. For those of you currently driving a certified a uh, hybrid, they have certified hybrid technicians at King's. Uh, they're na now able to refurbish your high-voltage battery pack for less than the dealer would charge to replace it. It gives you around 150,000 miles, maybe a lot more than that. So 
Dog Kings on Monday. Schedule a courtesy battery analysis. Kings Auto Service and Kings Correct Loop. Easy to find at 1039 Northwest Street in downtown Raleigh and kingautomotive.net. Kings Automotive Service, Raleigh's most reliable auto care since 1946. Let's get back to the WPTF Weekend Gardener with Mike, Ann, and Rufus. We're back on WPTF. We're at the Man Expo at the State Fairgrounds in the Graham Building, built by NC Shed Builders. Lots of things to see out here. Lots of things to register for if you come by. Uh, we have, of course, the Weekend Gardener magazines. You don't have to register for those. Uh, the uh, folks at Burke Brothers just down the street from us, that wonderful 100-year-old hardware store, uh, has given us a, a Weber grill, and we're going to give it to you. All you have to do is register for it, a Weber Genesis 2 Weber grill, which is a really nice one. Of course, all the Weber grills are nice. Uh, Wild Birds Unlimited, Bird Feeder, High Park uh, gift card, $100 gift card, Triangle Shooting Academy, private lesson, Butcher's Market $50 certificate, Garcia Motto $50 gift certificate for merchandise there, Deep River Sporting Clays tryout package, Brian Kilmeade autograph book. And uh, that and a lot more out here. We have some uh, some doodads. We have uh, some hand sanitizers with a WPTF logo, just nice, small enough to put in your pocket. That's good. And and these things, what are, what are these called? Chip clips. What? Like chip clips. Chip clips. Yeah, that's right, chip clip. But this is something if you can carry this in your pocket, and if you get tired of, of uh, talking to somebody, if they're worrying you, you can just stick it out and put it right on their nose. <laughs> and that will stop them. And there's a magnet on there, too, so it sticks yeah, to your I fridge. Mean, that's right. If you need if you need that, uh, you, can, you can stick it on your refrigerator if, unless you have a stainless steel one. Get ready for a fight. <laughs> Would that start a fight? Craig uh, LaHoulier is with us. Uh, Craig, uh, this is a man madhouse. It's a manhouse, but it's a madhouse, too, out here. Uh, Gerald Adams, uh, Rufus Edmonston with us, and... Uh, Craig, of course, is the author of Epic Tomatoes. I want to ask Craig a question. And uh, Growing Vegetables and Strawberries. Yes, Rufus. Uh, Craig, I'm, I'm from Boone, grew up in Boone, and, and you know the, the growing season is smaller. I, I have noticed from growing things down here that in, in the mountain sections, I think plants give it all they've got. They somehow instinctively know that the growing season is shorter <laughs> and and nothing like a, a dahlia grown in the mountains or a tomato. Is that your experience now? Well, you know, what we found here is that there have been a lot to learn and strengths and weaknesses about each area, whether it's that long, long heat and humidity of Raleigh where things potentially could last a long time, but often a, a hungry deer or some disease would come in. What, what strikes us about gardening here, um, we have our very first native azalea that we bought, uh, you know, really bright orange one, rhododendrons, lilac. So gardening here, despite being a little bit of a shorter season, has opened our gardening world up into many things that I really couldn't plant very successfully in Raleigh, sugar snap peas. Um, so we're kind of having a blast. I've got rhubarb growing in a container right now that I'm just about ready to pick. Um, yeah, there's, uh, you know, Rufus, there's just a whole lot to learn no matter where you garden. I think it's going to take me a few years to just get a sense of what's different about growing here. The soil is great. The grass is green. Um, 
plants seem to be very happy here when you just stick them in the ground, whereas you at, they uh, took a little bit more coddling and fiddling with. Are you at a higher, uh, high enough elevation you can grow a Fraser, Fraser fir? Oh, uh, not well. Our house is at about 2,200 feet, and uh, we probably could. Um, you know, so just a, a quick funny story is I was making some jam, and I forgot that we're at 2,200 feet, and I was waiting for it to get up to a temperature that it would have never reached. So we're, <laughs> there's a lot to learn about moving from kind of zero to 2,200 feet, but we, we do have some nice pines around the house, and one of them does look like a Fraser. So, uh, yep, a lot of Christmas tree farms not too far from us. Well, that's great. Now, back to uh, the tomatoes. You grow all of your tomatoes in containers? I assume, uh, I assume you do up there, too. Well, we. it turns out that our backyard, which is lovely and flat and sunny, is on our septic leach field. So my garden this year is a combination of straw bales, which I've actually gone to more and more. So I've right oh, now I've okay. got 28 straw bales, and I've got, oh, somewhere around uh, 30 containers. But the straw bales are growing summer squash, and I'm going to harvest my first today, direct seeded on May 1st. Green beans are coming along. Um, and, you know, the nice thing about using a straw bale or a container is you're starting clean. You don't have the issue with existing diseases in the soil. You can control what you put in the containers. Straw bales are essentially sterile before you put plants into them. Um, it's just different ways of gardening. You just, if you've got the time to do the regular watering that's required or set up a drip system, it can just be a wonderful way to garden because it also lifts the plant and brings it a little bit closer to you so you don't have to do as much bending over. I know when I first met Gerald, he was uh, he had a straw bale garden. That was years ago uh, at the governor's mansion. Uh, Gerald, you, you yeah, I, I don't think there's no question that it's a more disease-free way to go tomatoes, and of course, diseases are the biggest issues with tomatoes. Uh, I got a question, Craig. I know you've only had sure. one season under your belt. Was overall the tomato diseases? less or just different and the timing different? I know I heard you mention the late blight at the end, which seems to be the one thing that maybe is a little worse up in the mountains than it is here. Yeah, the, the late blight came in because in mid-August we had a seven-day stretch where it rained every day, uh, and we have some uh, quite a few farmers around us, and I suspect at some point somebody was growing some infected potatoes, uh, and that's uh, the spores came in and stuck to the wet plants, and that's what hit me. But in general, in Raleigh, I was getting somewhere around 15, 20 pounds of plant grown in a straw bale in my driveway. And last year, I was getting 30 or 35 pounds per plant, so 70 pounds of tomatoes in a straw bale. And I attribute that to the fact that almost every day here is in the 80s. Um, like I said uh, right at the outset, we only had two days at 90 and none of them above 90, and humidity was quite in control. So I think the biggest thing I've seen is fruit set is better. Um, the flavors were uniformly excellent. We, we ended up canning 62 quarts. Uh, the problem is I didn't prune well, I didn't stake well, I didn't top well, and by August my garden was just a mess. Um, so I'm going to try to do a little better with that this year, Gerald, to try to keep things a little more vertical. Right. <laughs> Right. Well, I, I had always wondered about that, and, and I had thought less about 
You know, if you get all the blooms to fruit, well, you're going to have more fruit and you're going to have more poundage. And that's, you know, yeah. I don't have to tell you a big issue here. And I have people, you know, they fret about, oh, they got this brandy wine and a beautiful plant and no fruit on it. And quite a yep. number of heirlooms like that, that really is a big issue, especially if we have one of them 95-plus degree summers, which we're prone to have here. Yeah, the last year we lived in Raleigh, I was kind of charting the temperatures, and we had 70 to 75 days at 90 or above, and I was seeing big gaps on my plant where there were no tomatoes. And here, pretty much, I wouldn't say every blossom set fruit, but if you had eight flowers in a cluster, you probably were going to get four tomatoes off it. And it was like that all the way up the plant. If we wouldn't have had the late blight come in, um, you know, I would have been feeding all of Hendersonville with the, with the <laughs> tomatoes that I harvested. So that, you know, and what I would advise to people growing in the triangle area with that heat is to, is to start maybe gently flicking the blossoms as they open just to get that pollen to move from the anthers onto um, the tip of the pistil. And that way you can help get your fruit set. Now, it may look a little funny doing that in your garden or, you know, getting your electric toothbrush out and buzzing your blossoms, but it, but it works. <laughs> Rufus, do you flick your blossoms, or are you against that? I'm, I'm, I'm un, unfamiliar with that. <laughs> we'll get your electric yeah, toothbrush it, out there. <laughs> That's great. It, it does get the pollen to move, and what happens with the large beefsteak types is the pollen can get really sticky, and uh, the flicking helps it get down to the pistol a little bit. So, yeah, there's... I mean, there's so much to this hobby, and you just learn little tricks and things every year, and it's endlessly fascinating and interesting. You know, so I'm up to 4,000 types of tomato seeds, and it's probably reached the level of where I should be committed, but I'm having fun doing it. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, have fun. Hey, Dallas is in Fuquay, Verena. I don't know if Dallas has a tomato question, but Dallas, what's your, what have what well, you got for us? Well, not really a tomato question. I'm sorry. That's okay. Make it short. I've got some, uh, we moved into a house. The beds are full of mint and periwinkle, and I about got all of it out. But I've got this beautiful climbing rose on the corner, and the periwinkle is growing all up in it. I'm trying to figure out a way to get it out of there without tearing up the rose bush. I wonder if there's anything I could put on it. So you want to get rid of the it'll, periwinkle? It'll kill the periwinkle, but not the rose. I mean, I've been digging it up everywhere else, but I can't really dig yeah, it. Yeah, that's uh, once it gets established, that's tough. Gerald? Yeah. If you will find where the periwinkle roots are coming out of the ground, yeah. it, it won't hurt to, you know, put run, spray Roundup directly on that. It getting it on the ground right. is not going to hurt the rose as long as you keep it off the stem. And if it's a long, big, mature rose that's been there a long time, yeah. Yeah. You don't. You're not going to have to be super duper careful about that. Just because so the roundup a little bit gets into the top okay. of the soil is not going to cause any problems for you. Okay. All right. Because pulling it don't do. I mean, you can pull it all day long. Yeah. No. You're going to have to get down to those roots on it. And I, I, sometimes when I've had to be careful, I've even took sponges and rubbed across yeah, yeah, stuff. I mean, I've used paintbrushes. Yeah. I've used all oh. kind of things. But you know that. Yeah, that, that big stem coming out of the ground for that rose, uh, a little bit of Roundup around it's not going to cause any problems for the rose. Okay, that helps me a lot. And now, what's the difference between Roundup? I've got this other... Uh, Glyphosate is actually the chemical in Roundup, and you can buy it generically for less money. Well, so that's what you're looking think, for. Yeah, you don't want to go spraying tremendously around it. There is a right. virus that roses get that has been thought to be caused by glyphosate. But just uh -oh. using it, you know, a time or two around it, 
And if it's an old-fashioned climbing rose, it would yeah. be less likely to be affected by it anyway. Okay, this other spray I've got is called poison ivy spray. That's probably too strong, isn't it? That's something ortho. I don't even know what chemical. Well, that's a brush brush killer. If you, so that's if you look down to the fine print and see what the actual chemical is on it, yeah, and you're going to probably see is some percentage of glyphosate, and if it's a brush okay. killer, it's going to have one other thing added to it. Okay, all you right. You just need to be a little more careful with that, but it still it still should work. Yeah, I, I'm sorry to take away from the tomato. No, no, no. no. <laughs> uh, I know Craig. Craig is a. Uh, I like Craig. I, I've done work for him. He knows me. Tell him Dallas said, hey, hey. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. I like, to, I like to grow everything. And so, you know, if, if it pops out of the ground and grows, it's fascinating. I was going to ask along this lines, Gerald or Rufus or Mike, have you ever heard of mixing salt and uh, vinegar and water at high concentrations in areas where you wouldn't want to use a Roundup? Uh, we got a lot of English ivy climbing trees out here, and that seems to be what people are using. Um, is kind of a very corrosive substance on those ivy leaves that it yeah. doesn't. Yeah, we well, have to be careful where you use that. Too. Right, I'm using a, a product that Miramichi makes now, which is they call it an organic weed killer, and it's a right. essentially a a fatty salt product. Is is right. what it is, and uh, my concern spraying it on the foliage, I don't think is an issue. What I would be worried about is you were consistently, consistently spraying it, and it was getting into the soil. I would, yep, I would be yep. a little concerned yeah, about the it then. Especially. But if you go doing a, in a real fine spray, you know that stuff works because you get it on the leaf foliage anyway of the weed or whatever you're yeah. trying to kill. Yeah. I just don't think you can be as willy nilly, you know, shooting a heavy stream at it. You have to keep it to kind of a fine spray and try to mostly get it on the plant. But this particular yep. product, we're trying about three different organic weed uh, products now as we're trying to get away from glyphosate as much as we can. Uh, we use horticulture vinegar. We're trying this product, and I've got one coming that's made out of whatever the chemical is in orange peels, and we're trying to kind of doing a test this year to see which one we think is the most effective. Cool. Wow, that's good stuff. Orange peels, huh? Yep. <laughs> All right, 919-860-9783. We're running out of uh, time pretty quickly uh, here at the Man Expo at the State Fairgrounds uh, in the Graham Building, built by NC Shed Builders. Uh, 919-860-9783, 919-860-WPTF. Uh, and, you know, the squirrels can be a big nuisance in your garden, whether it's here or in the mountains or wherever they eat flower buds, they dig up plants, they chew on decks, and outdoor furniture, they can be really annoying, you know. Put a stop to squirrel damage with I Must Garden repellent. They have a specific squirrel repellent. Uh, and uh, boy, I'll tell you, everybody has problems with them. It's kind of fun to watch them. They're very acrobatic. I Must Garden squirrel repellent is a safe and effective way to keep squirrels from digging and chewing. It contains botanical oils, natural ingredients that squirrels don't like. I'm sure it's got some red pepper in it. Available in liquid and granular, I Must Garden Squirrel Repellent is effective and easy to use. It works without the use of harmful toxins and chemicals. And you can spray I Must Garden Squirrel Repellent directly on buds and flowers or sprinkle 
High musk garden granular repellent directly on the soil of your flower pots to prevent digging. And if you want to prevent squirrels from chewing on trees, spray your trees as, as soon as they leaf out in, in early spring. Imus Garden repellents are sold all over the Triangle area. Look for Imus Garden squirrel repellent at your favorite garden center or hardware store, such as Campbell Road Nursery and Durham Garden Center. While you're there, be sure to check out the other Imus Garden natural repellents or deer, rabbits, moles, voles, snakes, dogs, cats, and more. Protect your garden today with natural pest protection from Imus Garden repellent, earth-friendly people and pet-friendly, and made right here in the Triangle area. We'll take a quick break, be back with our remaining moments with Craig LaHoulier and uh, Gerald Adams, Rufus Edmonston here on the WPTF Weekend Gardener at the Man Expo at the Graham Building of State Fairgrounds, built by NC Shed Builders. You're listening to one of the longest-running radio shows in the country, the WPTF Weekend Gardener with Mike, Ann, and Rufus. Hey, Ann is, uh, is beaching it today. She'll be back next week. Brother Rufus is here. Gerald Adams, we got to wind things up here. Uh, Craig LaHoulier is with us. And, uh, Craig, good gracious. Uh, let me ask you, what? Uh, we only have about uh, two and a half minutes left. What are the biggest mistakes that, that people make when they're trying to grow tomatoes? together uh, watering them from above and not paying attention to their plants and when they start seeing blemished foliage and yellowed foliage down low in the plant letting them stay on the plant because you're just essentially letting that fungal spore breeding ground infect all of the other plants I think that's really it adequate spacing and uh, Live in your garden. Understand what your plants look like when they're happy. Understand what they look like when they're not happy, and do something immediately to remedy it. It's, uh, you know, make it a pastime rather than just something you look at once a week or once a month. Yeah, Gerald, you want to add anything? No, he's hit right on the top yeah, of it there. Right. I, and one other thing I see quite frequently: I, a lot of people don't provide enough nutrition. They just don't yeah. they plant the plant and think it's going to grow just because they put it in good soil that it can grow for four or five months, whatever, not adding any fertilizer yeah. or something to it. So I, I run into yeah. that quite do, a bit. Do they need a lot of nitrogen? Is that what we're looking for? Or? Early on, they need some nitrogen to get going. Yeah. Not so much after they're blooming and producing, right. but uh, quite often I see people that never apply any fertilizer of any kind, yeah. and they wonder why they have a little puny plant. Do you use a lot of fertilizer uh, in your plants, Craig? Well, since I'm doing bales and containers and watering frequently, I am actually feeding weekly. And uh, just kind of an all-purpose food. Each plant gets about a cup, and they're really happy. And uh, one of the things, Mike, is, is kind of my last comment. Gerald is growing a mystery that occurred on your show two years ago when I was on it. He brought a purple and green striped tomato. He gave it to me, and I saved seeds. And I got a yellow tomato, and I sent seeds to my friend Ralph and Gerald. I think you may have some plants of that, so I'm dying to find out what you get from that if you're growing. I, I will. I'll, I'll send you. I'll figure out how to get the fruit to you if I can. Yeah. Uh, it held no, true two years in a row. Oh, Craig, we got about uh, twenty. Got about twenty seconds. Give your uh, yeah. website again. Sure, uh, CraigLahulier.com. C-R-A-I-G-L-E-H-O-U-L-L-I-E-R.com and NC Tomato Man. 
com for email. And thank you so much, everyone, for having thank me Thank you on. so much, Craig. We'll have you on again uh, this summer, maybe, sure. if you have time. And your website, Gerald? Gerald and Henry's Plants.com. And happy birthday, Henry. Happy My birthday, grandson Henry. was two yesterday. Rufus, we'll see you next week. 10-4.